When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Forward Progress, the Friday edition, where we're going to be doing props, fantasy, injury discussion about this week's games. If you don't know or you do now, we're going live every Monday to Friday at 2 o'clock with an assortment of hosts and guests to talk about the football slate. We've had shows so far on Wednesday, our pick show, our great Thursday show with producer Jason talking to Eric Eager and Hitman and queuing you up for the Thursday night football game. Don't forget Sunday mornings, Rob Pizzola will be doing the pizza buffet where he looks at the game's last minute and if there's any low-hanging fruit, he tries to pick it off. And then in the evenings with Clive Bixby, they'll be discussing the opening lines and where they see them moving that's my long-winded way of saying you should really subscribe, hit the notifications bell so you don't miss any of this content. Also, smash the like button, show some love to the creators, taking their time to provide some valuable insights. Of course, none of this would be possible without our sponsor, Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for the last 25 years, 25 years of competitive odds, your trusted sports book, Bet smart, bet pinnacle, must be 19 plus in Ontario, not available in the U.S. With that being said, I'm your host, George Sofidis, and I'm excited to get this show on the road. Uh, before I bring in our first guest, just a couple injuries that we're monitoring and news that is coming in. It looks like DJ Chark has been ruled out. Adam Thielen also has been designated as questionable. So we might get a heavy dose of Jonathan Mingo and Terrace Marshall and Hayden Hurst, make your adjustments in your fantasy lineups. Uh, Denzel Ward uh, was in concussion protocol. He's cleared off the injury report. It looks like the Browns and Bengals are going to be fully healthy for a banger of a game. And the last big piece of news so far that's come out, Washington says Terry McLaurin is a full go. If you remember, he hurt his toe in that preseason game where they broke the streak of the Baltimore Ravens. That being said, uh, I want to bring in my first guest, Matthew Friedman, plus EV sports better, fantasylife.com. Matthew, this is the first time that we're getting a chance to chat. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. A lot of respect for uh, you know everyone at the Hammer Network and and the the product that you guys are putting out there. So it's it's funny, you know, like I I listen to the podcast, uh, I hear the theme music, I you know I hear you doing your stuff and uh, and Rob hosting. So it, you know it's nice to be on the show with you guys. Well, we're so happy to have you as part of the team for this season. And uh, we get the first crack at dissecting last night's Thursday night football game, which we talked about off air. There was some ups. There was some downs. I think the story of the game when it all came down to it was the Chiefs offense was Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony dropping every ball that they could get thrown at them. Meanwhile, you know, Rasheed Rice, Justin Watson, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, they all flashed a little bit of big playability. Um, I got a question for you. It, it looks like it's a jumbled mess. We know Travis Kelsey is the number one. Are we ever going to get to a point where we trust 
two guys as the next two options on this team? Or is it always going to be each game is like a complete mystery box and we don't know who's going to be the target leader after Kelsey? Yeah, it feels like it's going to be a rotation. It might tighten up a little bit if Tony and Moore continue to, you know, underwhelm, in which case, you know, like the other guys by default might just end up getting more opportunities coming their way. The guy who stands out to me the most is Watson, actually. Um, I don't think he's going to be reliable next week or, you know, next month, but I've liked him ever since he entered the league. He's big, he's fast, he can play all three wide receiver spots. He's productive downfield. I think he has an underappreciated chance of developing into a reliable contributor, but really the answer is this is a rotational mess. Yeah, it really is. We're hoping we get some clarity towards later uh, parts of the year. Um, I know that people are optimistic Travis Kelsey's going to be back next game because it was 10 days, but I keep reading the note that he tested it out in the pool and he didn't have any power and I'm not 100% sure that Travis Kelsey is going to be a go next week. If he doesn't play next week and he remains out, do you have any level of concern for this offense in Patrick Mahomes? I have some level of concern, but I wouldn't say an elevated level of concern. I thought Mahomes actually looked pretty good last night when he wasn't being sabotaged by his surrounding weapons. Uh, the team has extra time, 10 days to plan without Travis Kelsey. I think that was one of the big the big things that hurt the Chiefs in this game. It wasn't that like they knew all offseason they weren't going to have Travis Kelsey for week one. It was something that popped up a couple of days before. So, you know, really changed the game plan. Now they know that that's a possibility. They can plan around it. And then the third thing is Mahomes has a really soft matchup against a pretty bad Jags defense. So, you know, obviously having Kelsey is better than not having Kelsey, but I still think Mahomes would be pretty much a version of Mahomes even without his best guy. You know, I was talking to producer Jason yesterday and he, we were talking about the Packers injuries at receiver. And he's like, you know, it's really concerning when the guy, you know, isn't practicing all week. And I said, you know, what really concerns me is the guy who gets hurt on a Thursday uh, before the Sunday game. And now the game plan that they've been installing is no longer relevant. And now they've got to change. Those are the ones that concern me. So when Kelsey goes down after they've probably been prepping this game plan for two weeks, it kind of throws a wrench into what they're like, even their trick plays, which all used to go through Travis Kelsey, like all the shovel passes. They did two versions of trick plays that didn't work in this game. One at the goal line and the other one on like a third and one play. That was an absolute disaster. Um, I want to paint a picture for you, Matthew. You're, you're in a fantasy league. You drafted Isaiah Pacheco. You are happy. You've got a lead back. And then Clyde Edwards Hilaire uh, out touches him. Like what, what is going on? Is this going to be a timeshare backfield again? Or is Pacheco someone who you still think is going to come through? Yeah, in that scenario, I'm hating my life. Uh, I'm wondering why I drafted this dead zone running back. Um, I think it's a situation where it's a split backfield. Neither guy can be trusted, unfortunately, for Pacheco. It's a wait and see, but hands off for now type of situation. Yeah, um, another situation that was uh, a little bit shaky was the Detroit Lions and their backfield. You know, anytime that you could have an explosive player uh, on the field and you choose to sit him for a less explosive running back, you know, kind of like what Dallas has been doing for the last two years. It, it felt like we got shades of that because David Montgomery out touching Jameer Gibbs 21 to nine is inexcusable, especially because Gibbs looks like he has the juice every time he touches the ball. How long is this going to happen? And like, is it just going to be a point in time where it's like, all right, Gibbs is the guy, but it might not come till later in the season. 
Yeah, it feels very, I mean, I don't know how old you are, but uh, Jamal Charles being blocked by Larry Johnson, like his his rookie year, you know, that's a little bit what it feels like. Uh, I think we would expect the balance to shift towards Gibbs a little bit, but Montgomery is likely to still be the lead back, you know, for the duration of the season. Montgomery and Gibbs are the new Williams and Swift. Like we have the blueprint for how these these touches, these opportunities are going to split. Yeah, totally. Um, Sam Laporta uh, was a revelation. He caught five balls. Usually we hear about rookie tight ends. They don't look good in the first year or two. Sometimes it takes to like year four, like David Njoku to finally break out. Um, is there any chance that Sam Laporta is going to break the mold and be the guy in fantasy relevant this year? Or do you think it was just one pretty good game and we'll see after that? I think he has a chance. So fantasy relevant, yes. I think he's immediately fantasy relevant. I had him ranked kind of on that borderline of tight end one, tight end two, you know, like near the top 12. So he's immediately relevant and he was great at Iowa, great at the combine, has draft capital and is, you know, playing a super majority of snaps right away. So he has a chance, but I don't think he's going to be like a a true difference maker, like a league winner. He's just going to be a guy who does a pretty solid job as a rookie. And the thing is like, he could be a good all around contributor in both phases and still not be all that dynamic in the stat sheet as a rookie, just because of how hard that position is. But uh, he, he impressed last night. Like he didn't do anything last night to like cross his name off the list as a guy who can't play in the NFL. Like he looks like he's going to be good. You know, who looks like he can't play in the NFL and, (laughs) some reason he got six targets last night was marvin jones what are we doing here he looks cooked there's no more juice left why the hell is he getting six targets in this game i have no idea because because they can't throw it to jameson williams so they have to throw it to someone ostensibly but i mean at that point you might as well put gibbs out there and see if he can play receiver yeah yeah that would have been an interesting dynamic all right enough of that game i think we got a good recap uh i think it was a nice appetizer i don't know about you but sunday feels like the real christmas morning saturday night i got the real like nervous butterflies in the stomach we're going to sleep we're going to get football thursday always just feels like an appetizer it it wet it wets your beak but it's not enough to like really satiate your appetite uh one of the games thursday i want to talk about is the baltimore ravens at the houston texans right now on pinnacle they're minus 10 plus 109 uh you can find nines and nine and a halfs in the market at uh, a 110. Uh, let's start off with the Texans offense. Uh, John Mechie hasn't practiced either Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, I would put some serious doubt that he's going to play. So it looks like we'll be getting a lot of Nico Collins mixed in with Robert Woods and Tank Dell. Pinnacle is lining 43 and a half for Nico Collins at minus 113. Does that feel low for a wide receiver one, especially when you consider the Ravens will be without their number one corner, Marlon Humphrey? Or do you not view Nico Collins as a true wide receiver one? You know, I have this projected at 43.3. So I'm right there with the market. I would probably make some adjustments based on the Mechie news, presuming that he's going to be out. But still, a lot of that production would probably shift to Tank Dell. So, you know, even if I adjust him up, I doubt I'm going to be adjusting him up enough to be taking a bet on the over. That said, like, I'm a notorious wet blanket. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, you, you got to give a little if there's too much optimism when it comes to betting, all we're going to be doing is betting overs. And that's the okay. way the direction is going to go. But you said Tank Dell, CJ Stroud demonstrated a lot of chemistry with him in the preseason. The guy looks like he always gets open. He's got a little bit of 
Amon Ra to his game, that shifty slot receiver. Um, do you think it, he's got the lead on Robert Woods, or do you still think Robert Woods is going to hold him off as the number two in this game? So the median outcome for the two, Woods is higher, but Dell by far has the higher range of outcomes there. You know, like if I were betting either of them, it would probably be Dell with positive odds on an alt over, or maybe I'd be taking some ladders on uh, on Tank Dell. Uh, the median prefers Woods, but I mean, you know, Dell has the clear ceiling. And what about their backfield? Uh, Damian Pierce right now is 55 and a half rushing yards in the market. Devin Singletary is 19 and a half. Do you think that's a fair split for the workload you expect? Or do you think a little bit more of a timeshare, especially because I think Pierce is coming back from an injury last year? Yeah, I think that's a fair split. I have Pierce actually a little bit to the over 62.1 Singletary. I have at 20.8. So I, I see Pierce as the clear number one running back there, but I don't think I'm going to be betting the over despite my projection. You know, prop markets tend toward the unders. And I don't really want to invest in a back who's a double digit road dog on, you know, an offense with a rookie quarterback. Uh, I just I don't want to be in that situation. All right, we are going to go to uh, two running backs that you do have bets on. But before we do, if you're watching in the audience, please smash the like button. Uh, Matthew Friedman's going to give us some goodies here. And it starts in the Ravens backfield. You're actually targeting not just Gus Edwards. You're also targeting J.K. Dobbins. Tell, tell us what you're thinking in, in both those markets. Yeah, I'm looking unders here. Gus Edwards under seven and a half carries. J.K. Dobbins under 15 and a half carries. And you know, these props are correlated ways of investing in the prevailing thesis that the Ravens are going to pass much more this year than they have previously. And, uh, you know, normally running backs are negatively correlated in their carries. You know, if one guy doesn't get that many, it's because the other running back on his team gets more than you would expect. But here, I think they both could go under because of a misunderstanding in the market, uh, the market of like the macro functioning of this new offense. We have a uh, offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin. Uh, he wants to throw the ball more. So that means less work on the ground for the Baltimore running backs. The Ravens are big home favorites. And, you know, that usually means extra carries for the running backs in garbage time. But I think what that actually might mean is that we see the Ravens pass quite a bit to get the lead. And then maybe at that point, they actually use their number three running back just a little bit more than people would expect. And of course, the Ravens running game, it's still going to go through Lamar Jackson, who is, if not the best running quarterback in the league, certainly a top three running quarterback. So uh, I, I just really like the unders here. And then finally, the Texans defense, it wasn't terrible uh against i mean it was bad but it wasn't like absolutely atrociously bad against the run last year and i think it could be better against the run this year given some of the players they brought in and then the new coaching staff you know what i love there's this dynamic in betting or just anything in general in life we get a piece of information and the first way everybody will look at it is oh Let's go Ravens overs as far as receivers go, right? They're going to pass the ball more. Same way we see an injury. Oh, let's bet against the team on the side. And oftentimes the better bet is the second market. It's the, you looked at it as saying, oh, rather than figuring out which receiver is going to get the over, because we don't know yet the distribution of targets in the past game. They're like, let me attack the anti-run game. Same as if a player injury doesn't often mean there's an edge on a side. It could just mean you might have a bet on a total Um as the ancillary bet. So let's talk about the Ravens past game. We've obviously heard Todd Monken wants to sling it. We just don't know who Lamar is going to target for the first time in his career. It's not the Mark Andrews show. He's not the only guy there. They have Mark Andrews. They have 
tight end Isaiah Likely, who looked really good last year. They got Odell Beckham, who they signed in free agency. Rashad Bateman working his way back from injury. And they spent the first round pick on Zay Flowers. Do you have any leanings on which way the ball is going to flow? Or is this a, I've got to see it to figure out what's going to happen? Now, I still think it's the Mark Andrews show. You know, we've seen he can command targets. And we saw at Georgia that Monken was totally fine letting a tight end dominate the passing offense. So I like Andrews as the number one pass catcher. And then after him, I like the theoretical upside of the unknown with Flowers. I think he can play inside, outside. He can play at all three levels of the field. Of course, that's in college. And, you know, we have to see how he translates to the NFL. But uh, in theory, I like him as the guy who has the most upside of those wide receivers. All right, let's uh, move on to a game that I think has all kinds of intrigue just because um, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars have a wider range of outcomes than people really understand, and I believe the Colts do as well. So it kind of makes for an interesting week one matchup. And uh, the intrigue starts for the with the Colts offense for me. No Jonathan Taylor, who's on the IR and is going to miss the first four games. Zach Moss recovering from a broken arm, and we're still not sure if he's going to play. Deion Jackson probably getting majority of the workload. But it all starts with Anthony Richardson, and we have no idea how heavy a dose of Richardson we're going to get. He's being lined at 45 and a half rush yards right now at Pinnacle, minus 107. It's hard to get a feel for what they're going to do, and some betters are taking a wait-and-see approach. Um, but I imagine people are going to wake up Sunday morning they're going to see Anthony Richardson and remember that he broke all the combine records and they're going to want a piece of that over. Is that the way you expect the money to flow on, on uh, Anthony Richardson come Sunday morning? Yeah, I think that's probably sharp analysis there. And I'll say like, I don't see this line getting lower in the, in the market, right? So if you like it, you know, I think probably grab it now. I have this projected at 47.6. So I'm, you know, in line with what we see in the market. Uh, and I'm certainly staying away from anything that has to do with these running backs, uh, any props, like I'm just hands off on the running back situation. I also was hands off uh, when drafting fantasy. I have six teams, uh, keeper leagues. I love fantasy. I wanted no parts of the Colts receivers. I don't know what to expect from this past game. If you had to guess, and I think Michael Pittman's coming into a contract year, do you think he's going to be in for a good year or a down year? I think it will be a a good year in the context of that offense, but not a good year compared to what we saw out of him the last two seasons. He averaged a thousand yards per year, uh, you know, since 2021. I have him projected for 821.8 yards this year, so a step down. I think he's the clear number one receiver in that offense, but in an offense that isn't that good at throwing the ball, that doesn't mean all that much. All right, let's move on to the Jaguars because you do have a bet that you like in this game. Uh, you are telling me Trevor Lawrence over rushing yards, 11 and a half yards. You can find some tens in the market. Pinnacle's got it minus 117, but you have them comfortably going over this with your projections, right? I absolutely love this. I have this projected around 16 and a half. It's one of my favorite props of the week. I typically prefer unders, but I noticed this week the market in general is a little too low on that mid tier of dual threat quarterbacks. So like the pocket passers who still have rushing ability. Mm -hmm. So guys like Lawrence, Geno Smith, Justin Herbert, they're being lined as if they're just pocket passers, but we know they have the ability to escape and to pick up yards as scramblers. Uh, so this is a, a prop I absolutely love. It's a small sample but in four games against Gus Bradley's Colts defense 
Lawrence has uh, had 33, 17, 11, and 23 yards rushing uh, with at least three carries in each game. Uh, so I think he's lined closer to his realistic floor far closer to his floor or basically at his floor than, uh, than his ceiling. And for his career, his mean is 18.4 rushing yards per game. His median is 19. So he is way above this number just in terms of what he typically does uh, in, a, in an average game here. So I just love, absolutely love the over here. Perfect. And uh, once again, a reminder at the end of uh, just before I let you go, we're going to go through all your best bets and for tracking purposes for our producer, we'll, we'll tell them level of confidence. If it's a half unit confidence, one unit quarter unit, just for levels of tracking. I have a question here from the chat and I love questions on the fly. And if you got some stuff, I'm going to read it and I'm going to fire it off to our guest. He says, start one and a half PPR Juju Smith Schuster uh warren uh i don't even know who, uh jalen warren i guess the steelers running back yeah. uh devin a chain from the miami dolphins or flex andrews and start a waiver wire tight end like dulcich or ferguson what direction do you think you would go with yeah i would start uh andrews at the typical tight end spot and then i would go with warren uh, actually, let me rephrase that. I would go with Warren if you're looking for kind of that higher floor scenario. Mm -hmm. If you're a dog in your matchup and you're like, you know what, like I need someone who has a real chance of busting something, then I would go with a chain. But in general, I would say Warren. I love that. And, uh, oftentimes I talk about that with, uh, with buddies they are like, who should I start? And, and it comes down to, do you just want a safe floor, yeah. get your points because you're a healthy favorite and you're going to win, or do you need to make up ground? And if so, you probably want to swing for a couple home runs. All right, let's get to your best bets. We already mentioned the first one, Gus Edwards under seven and a half carries. What would you say? Half unit confidence, quarter unit, full unit? Oh, one unit for all of these props. Yeah. Okay. JK Dobbins under 15 and a half carries. Once again, reminder, we're going to lock in for a unit. Trevor Lawrence over 11 and a half rushing yards lock in for a unit, but there are two that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, the first one is Darius Slayton. What are you looking at with Darius Slayton in the Sunday night game? Yeah, under two and a half receptions. I have this projected at 2.3, but this is available at plus money in the market. So I, I think there's value there. The Giants passing game is likely to go through Darren Waller and Saquon Barkley. So I think limited targets available for the wide receivers. I think there's going to be a rotation at wide receiver as well as this team kind of figures out who they exactly want to put on the field. So even though he's a starter, I think Slayton is playing fewer snaps than a typical starter would. The Giants offense in general, I think is actually going to be based on the ground uh, where the Cowboys defense is most vulnerable. So I think it does make sense to attack them there, but that means fewer overall targets for everyone in the, uh, the Giants offense. And then, you know, Daniel Jones, under Brian Dable, he's been more of a short to intermediate passer. Uh, and that doesn't play to the strength of Slayton, who's a downfield receiver. And, you know, just because Slayton is a downfield receiver, even if he has a big game, that could conceivably mean he has like two receptions for like 67 yards and a touchdown. So even if he has a great game, the under here could still hit. And then finally, tough matchup against the Cowboys who added cornerbacks to Fawn Gilmore in the offseason, and they have three good safeties. So, you know, deep completions could be tough to come by. All right. And, uh, you know, uh, Pinnacle's got best in market plus 125. Uh, great little bet. One more, though, you have Josh Dobbs. And you are not optimistic about the guy who walked in the building a week and a half ago. Yeah. I mean, uh, imagine, imagine betting the over 
on a quarterback who has started just two games in his career who just got on the worst team in the league, right? So I'm hammering the under as hard as I can. Josh Dobbs under 210.5 passing yards. I have this projected for 160.4. And I'll be honest, anytime I'm that far off of market, I'm going to assume that I'm wrong. But I, I'm not wrong. I've checked with other guys who are really good at creating projections. Like, I'm I'm right. The market is wrong. This is just a situation where, where Dobbs is in a horrible set of circumstances. He theoretically knows the offense from his time with uh, OC Drew Petting from their time together in Cleveland, but he has just two career starts. Petting has never called plays before, so the offense and Dobbs could be bad. Uh, Dobbs has the slightest of holds on the starting job. Uh, if he's bad in this game, he could legitimately be benched in week one. Like That's within the range of outcomes here. Uh, I expect the Cardinals to try to have a ball control style on offense because they have a brand new quarterback and the best player on their offense is probably running back James Conner. Uh, when he gets attempts uh, at passing the ball, I don't think Dobbs is going to be all that efficient with it. He has minimal pass catching support. Like his weapons are clearly subpar and he has a challenging matchup. He's going against a commander's defense that last year was number one in drop back success rate. So the range of outcomes easily skews to the downside here if Dobbs goes over he does it by maybe 10 yards 20 yards something like that if he goes under he could legit have like 100 yards in this game Matthew you are a pro we hit the post that that means you got it in right at the right time thank you for your time I look forward to doing this again next Friday thanks guys have a great one take care Matthew uh, some great uh, actionable stuff. We gave out J.K. Dobbins under 15 and a half carries. The market moved to 14 and a half. That means some people are watching and clicking buttons. Well, it's time for my next guest. I am also excited to have Jack Miller, NFL fantasy betting and projections for Establish the Run. Jack, this is our first time talking. Thanks for doing this. Of course. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm, uh, I'm excited. Uh, Jack, I like to look at... Um, people that I don't know's Twitter timeline and get a feel for them. And you tweeted something that I found interesting and I wanted to bring it up before we even discuss some of the games. You said steam chasing or top-down betting is possible for props, but it's harder to parse through which information matters and why a number moved since markets are so sensitive. Something to be mindful of this NFL season if you don't know where steam originated. It feels like there's a lot of top-down betters in the market when it comes to sides and totals. A lot of the props guys, though, are are usually originators or they they buy a package from, you know, Establish the Run and Hitman and all these great props guys. Um, what do you think? Why do you think it's so difficult to, to, to gauge uh, what steam is real and what isn't? Yeah, I think a big part of it is just that the markets are so sensitive. Like if you're trying to move a side or a total, um, you, you have to get down a pretty good chunk of money, especially as you get closer to the game. And also we have books like, you know, Pinnacle um, and, and some other books that are taking really big limits on these and really are a source of truth that you could use if you're doing top down. But for props, there's not really the same level of like, like there's not a single book that's a source of truth like a Pinnacle might be for bigger markets. And it's a lot easier to move a market. So if you have a Twitter following um, or something and, and you put out a pick, there's a good chance you're going to move the line even if it's not necessarily a good play. Um, and, and so I think a lot of the time, if a, a prop is moving, it's usually in the right direction and it's usually because of sharp action, but it, it's not like necessarily um, because it has to be sharp. Like it, it's just, they're a lot more sensitive really. 
Yeah, I suspect the sports books have uh, a few people that they purchase their picks just to find out what they're giving out so they don't get bombarded with action. Uh, let's talk about the Sunday night football. Me and you get the first crack at it. Uh, right now, the line is minus three, minus 117 on Pinnacle. There's three and a halfs out there. There's uh, other threes that not quite a good price. Pinnacle's best price in market. Uh, before we get into the matchups, the injuries that I'm monitoring are... Tyler Smith, the offensive guard for the Cowboys, who tweaked his knee early this week and hasn't practiced the past two days. If I had to call it, I don't think he's going to be playing. Uh, starting offensive tackle Tyron Smith ended up on the injury report yesterday after limited practice. It looks like the Giants' uh, injury reports have come in, and Wandale Robinson looks like he's doubtful. Uh, Darren Waller looks questionable, and it will be the first thing that I look into as soon as we get off air. Uh, let's start off with the Dallas Cowboys, though. A lot was made of Mike McCarthy's quotes about running the ball more. They no longer have Ezekiel Elliott. The backfield is now Tony Pollard and his backup running back, Deuce Vaughn, who is all of five foot six. Are you buying more rushing from the Cowboys this year? And if so, is Pollard a consideration at 68 and a half rushing yards this week at Pinnacle? I, I don't think I'm going to end up uh, betting the Pollard line as, as it currently stands. And I'm not sure. I do think that they would like to be more run heavy, but I'm not sure they have the personnel to do it. Like you mentioned with Pollard as their RB1. Um, I do think he can take on a bigger workload than he has in the past. And I think he will this year, but it's not like he's going to go out there and carry the ball 20 times a game. And behind him, Rico Dowdle is um, being touted as the RB2 and then Deuce Vaughn as well. And, it, you know, those guys are probably not going to have an enormous role. Um, so I think with with Mike McCarthy and Schottenheimer there, those are two guys that maybe want to run the ball, but personnel-wise, it doesn't really make sense for them to be a, a ground-and-pound team this year. You know, there's this dynamic, Jack, where we try to figure out what a player's worth if they miss. And I, I actually say the number's not as concrete as and rigid as people think. It is dependent on who you're playing. Like, when Chris Jones misses last night's game against a very good O-line, it's very noticeable that he's out. Whereas if they were playing a team with a poor O-line, it may not have been that big of a concern. The same goes with the Dallas Cowboys. Normally, you might not attribute anything worth the spread on a Tyler Smith injury. The Giants have one strength on defense, and it happens to be the interior D-line with Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. So I would argue his injury in a game like this is far more important than a typical other game. That being said, with all the other with all the injuries, do you think we're going to see a little bit more Dak airing it out uh, as opposed to trying to run it down the Giants uh, Giants' throat? I think it could have a minor impact, um, but but honestly, I don't think it, it's going to like overhaul their entire game plan. So, who is their number two? We know CD Lamb's their number one. Uh, we know they traded for Brandon Cooks, and in market, it looks like Brandon Cooks is got a. Uh, a receiving yards total 12 yards more than Michael Gallup. So the, the markets right now, uh, fantasy numbers, people think Brandon Cooks is the number two. Are you buying that he's the clear number two, or do you think there's still a little bit room for uh, opportunity here for Michael Gallup? I think Cooks is going to be the number two. I, I think all, all of the guys um, are going to have some upside on a weekly basis, but if you over an entire season, I'd be pretty surprised if Gallup ends up uh, performing better than Cooks. I mean, Cooks is, he turns 30 in, in a couple weeks here, but he's been so productive everywhere he's gone, um, bar except for a few games at the end of last year uh, where he seemed to have kind of like quiet quit on the Texans. But 
Um, besides that, it's been a pretty productive career anywhere he's gone for Cooks. Um, whereas Gallup, la- or yeah, Gallup last year was in in the mid-teens target share a lot of the time. Uh, I think Cooks has some upside beyond that, so I'd bet on him to have a more productive season uh, than Gallup overall. It's funny, Brandon Cooks. I think has been traded four times in his career now. He's the most productive player that nobody seems to want for the long haul everybody wants him as a one or two year rental let's talk about the giants uh and i think their offense starts with the rushing attack they have a two-headed rushing attack and it's saquon barkley and daniel jones barkley is lined at 67 and a half yards daniel jones at 32 and a half yards do any of those markets stand out to you uh as rooms to attack or do you think the, the line seems to be in line with what's expected Yeah, we have those as both pretty fair. I I don't think we'll end up having a position on either, uh, which I know isn't the most exciting answer in the world. Um, But yeah, I think the rushing lines are probably both uh, pretty efficient. All right, let's talk about the Giants passing attack. Um, Darren Waller, for what it looks like, it was a hamstring injury in practice. So it remains to be seen if he plays. Him and Daniel Jones displayed a lot of chemistry in the two drives that they played together in preseason. Uh, Jones looked for Waller often, and he fed him the ball. Do you expect more of the same? Like, if you see a lot of 49.5s for Darren Waller, uh, is that a number that you're interested in uh, long-term with this guy? Yeah, it it opened at like 42.5 or 44.5, and I thought it was pretty good there, but it moved like instantly. Um, I think at 49, I'd still... I would have still leaned a little bit over, but a late add to the injury report with a hamstring is, is pretty scary. So I don't think you can really take it anymore. Um, I mean, a, a late Friday add with a hamstring injury for a guy with Waller's injury history, you know, like that seems like he has a pretty good chance to not even play uh, on Sunday. So I, I guess we'll see. But yeah, I definitely would not bet the over on him with the injury news. It was part of the reason why I didn't want parts of Darren Waller in my fantasy leagues because everybody's talking about his increased workload. I'm like, this is a guy who can't handle a decreased workload. I don't know how he's going to handle the increased workload. So I was buying on a lot more like upside guys like Dalsich and Chigo Cuanco. Matthew Friedman gave out Darius Slayton under two and a half receptions. I made a joke many times this offseason about the Giants have seven number three wide receivers and no number one or two wide receivers. Are we in wait and see mode to see who's going to shake out and who's going to become the guy there? Or do you think there's somebody that stands out right now that you think you can take advantage of? Yeah, I think we're pretty much in wait and see mode. I I do think for week one, it's probably going to be Slayton and Hodgins on the outside and then probably Paris Campbell in the slot with like Jalen Hyatt mixing in um, a little bit, especially now that Wandale is is doubtful. Um, Probably those four are going to be the main guys for week one. Um, but yeah, it's season long perspective. It's definitely like they, they don't have anyone who you're like, this is going to be the guy, this is going to be Daniel Jones guy the whole season. So we'll just, we'll see how that shakes out. All right. Um, let's move on to the green Bay and Chicago game right now. Chicago is minus one minus one oh one on pinnacle, the best price in market. And I remember the line had been sitting at two and a half for a lot of the off season. And I was talking to Eric eager and I'm saying, Hey, I'm kind of holding out to try to get a Green Bay plus three. Do you think we get there? And he said, no. He goes, have you talked to a single sharp better that likes Chicago or doesn't love Green Bay? I'm like, no. And, and so I start to figure, I go, why is it sitting at two and a half then? 
And it, it dawned on me, we're all waiting for the three. It's asymmetric risk. We don't care if it goes to two or one and a half. We're waiting for the three because it's a sizable edge. It was that moment I realized, okay, we're never going to get this three. It's not going to appear. I think the rest of us all figured it out and started to slowly matriculate money in, into the market on Green Bay. Despite their receiver injuries, they're still taking money. Let's talk about their receiver injuries because they're pretty big. Uh, the two ones that we're watching for is Christian Watson, who are is the Packers' number one wide receiver, hasn't practiced uh, Wednesday or Thursday, and today is going to be a really key day for him. And then Romeo Dobbs finally returned to practice, albeit he was limited. Let's start off with Jordan Love in the passing attack. What do you expect out of Jordan Love this year? I think he has a, a super wide range of outcomes. And so from the futures perspective, I think like I think this is what a lot of people have been doing is taking on like division plus 400 as opposed to their win total over because the, the it's, a, it's a very wide range of outcomes. Um, for week one, it, it might be a little bit of a struggle with Watson didn't practice today, so I'd assume he's out. Dobbs was back, but we don't know if he's limited or full yet. I assume he's going to play, but he's probably not fully healthy. So that leaves like Jaden Reed, Luke Musgrave, um, Samori, like Samori Toure, just a, a bunch of guys who should not be maybe even like starting receivers and definitely not like your top option. Yeah. Well, they, they went with the volume approach in the draft. They spend second round pick on Jaden Reed and Luke Musgrave. Uh, they spent a third round pick on tight end Tucker Kraft. They, they're obviously going for draft three guys. Hope one becomes a star. Hope one becomes a useful role player. And you've, you've, you've done really well for yourself. Um, who do you, who are you most optimistic out of those three? I know there's been some rumblings uh, within green Bay beat writers. They seem to like Luke Musgrave. They seem to think there's a hidden gem in him. Yeah, I like Jaden Reed quite a bit. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen week one just because like rookie receivers in their first game. Um, but from a season long point of view, I, I think he eventually takes over as the wide receiver two over Romeo Dobbs. Um, I, I like Musgrave too. I'm a little scared off of the rookie tight end history, um, but apparently he's been dominating in camp and he got good usage in the preseason. So I, I do think it's going to be like, like he's the clear tight end one, kind of like Laporta was for, for Detroit. I, I don't think anyone's challenging him in terms of snaps and, and routes. It's just whether he can actually turn those into useful uh, performances. Jack, I don't know if you know there's a community out there uh, of AJ Dillon truthers. I used to be part of that community. I have finally red-pilled my way out of it. I no longer want any parts of the abuse that comes with owning AJ Dillon and waiting for his time it, are we getting uh, another year of this timeshare or do you think Dylan actually might close the gap? Like they're lining their, they're only 17 yards apart from a, a rushing total uh, for week one market. So that's, that's probably the closest spread of any uh, high end running backs. Do you think he's finally closed the spread then he's going to start to get a little bit more of the workload? I kind of think it's just going to be more of the same this year where Jones is the 1A um, on rushing and then the clear preferred option uh, on passing downs. Um, I mean, Dylan is one of the better RB2s in the league. If something happens to Jones, he can fill in a three-down role. Um, but I think I don't really see any reason to expect a, a drastic change going into this year. All right, let's talk about a drastic change. The Bears somehow, uh, despite finishing with the worst record last year, the world is banking and betting on Justin Fields leading them to the playoffs, probably a division, an MVP. He like money is coming in on Justin Fields MVP. Are you buying that he has a real shot at this award? 
I don't think so. I, I do. Th- I, I don't think he, I would not bet him right now. I do think he has a wide range of outcomes, kind of like Jordan Love, because he's been in such a bad situation the past couple of years. And now he has a competent receiving core. He's obviously maybe the best quarterback, uh, rushing quarterback in the league. So, so I get like the logic behind it. I personally uh, am not a Justin Fields truther. You know, I, uh, I'm not typically a prop better. So when I do some research to get ready for the show, I started to introduce myself to markets that I didn't know existed. One of the things that surprised me was not only was Justin Fields, one of the lowest QB uh, passing yards available this week in market at 184 and a half. He's also the highest QB rushing yards at 55 and a half. Uh, Do any of these markets stand out to you? Is there any angles to approach with Justin Fields in week one? Yeah, the Fields passing stuff I think is kind of interesting. And I I know some sharp people on both sides because he has the lowest passing line in the league, but compared to where he was last year, it's a improvement. Um, But it's just a question of like how much more they're going to pass now that they have DJ Moore and Mooney and Claypool are healthy and and all these guys. Um, I haven't bet either uh, of the Fields stuff. Um, I, I, kind of just i'm curious to see how much they really unleash the passing game um with their improved weapons and then we'll kind of take it from there you know there's an interesting dynamic with their running backs this year where um it's very uncertain we don't know and yet everyone all top three running backs are owned in fantasy so everybody wants a piece of their running back because you know the dynamic of when you're paired with a rushing quarterback and all the attention he absorbs you usually have high yards per carry. So the Bears have Khalil Herbert, who frankly, every time he got a chance last year, he flashed. They signed Dante Foreman from the Panthers, and he averaged four and a half yards per carry, nearly got a thousand yards last year. And they also spent a fourth round pick on running back Roshan Johnson. When you're approaching it uh, from a fantasy perspective, because it's too early to decide who's going to get the early edge um, for props. Who do you think is the early lead back and who do you think it will be by fantasy playoff time? I think it's pretty clearly uh, Khalil Herbert. The he, he got so much usage in the preseason with the starters and Foreman was playing with the backups pretty deep into the game, which isn't really a good sign. And there's even some speculation Foreman could be on the roster bubble. Um, I don't think Foreman's going to push Herbert very much. I think Roshan Johnson, their rookie, um, would be the guy who could do that. Uh, I don't know if he if he's going to by the time the fantasy playoffs roll around, um, but that's I think the primary concern with Herbert. So you're saying I bought a uh, a lemon in Dante Foreman in my fantasy league, trying to get a piece of the Bears action. Let's quickly move on to the Chargers and the Dolphins. Uh, I'm admittedly a Dolphins fan, a homer. Uh, Teron Armstead is the injury we're all watching. He hasn't practiced for two days. The most difficult thing is this was the case last year. There was weeks he didn't practice and he still suited up for the game. And it's just that age in his career. And frankly, a guy who's always been hurt. We're always going to not know. Um, Let's assume he he does play and the Dolphins decide that they want to attack the Chargers through the air. We know Tyreek Hill and we know Jalen Waddell. They signed Braxton Berrios to be the number three guy. And he's lined at 14 and a half. I'm not sure how much the third target in offenses get lined at 14 and a half. It feels very low. Or do you think he's not truly the third option in Miami's passing attack? Yeah, I I do think he's the third option. And I agree it's very low for a third option. It's just that Tyreek and Waddle control so much of the passing game. And like Trent Sherfield was 
the wide receiver three for the Dolphins last year, and he went over um, 14 and a half in like slightly more than half of his games. Um, and and maybe Barrios has a little more role in security than Sherfield did when he was the clear three last year. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I, if Barrios is the clear wide receiver three, maybe over 14 and a half would be good. But this week, I'm kind of just seeing how it shakes out. All right. Um, what about the Chargers and like their six? weapons that herbert has obviously keenan allen and mike williams are seen as one and two um i actually have a question for you about that because keenan allen's lined at 66 and a half and mike williams is lined at 58 and a half keenan allen is a safe floor guy not a high ceiling mike williams is boomer bust he's either gonna fly over this total on like two catches or do nothing when you when you look at betting a guy like mike williams who is an all or nothing guy huge ceiling low floor do you try to avoid those guys or you try to ride the wave and catch the right end of variance with those guys? Yeah, I, I don't necessarily avoid them. Um, I, I think it, he is more variant than someone like Keenan Allen who's, who's going to get 10 targets, um, but it all does even out in the end. Maybe one way to play it. I, I don't bet a whole lot of alts really, but if you if you look at alts and like Mike Williams, 90 plus receiving yards is vastly different juice than Keenan. Um, that's one way to play it maybe, but I haven't really experimented with the alts too much um so i can't say anything like for sure there and it looks like christian watson is uh ruled out and called week to week and the markets were reacting accordingly moving to one and a half on the spread towards chicago and it looks like this line is going to come down from the 42 it was it's at 41 and a half in some places uh before you go quickly your best bet you got uh logan thomas what are you looking at with logan thomas yeah, I'm going to take the under on his receiving yards. It's lined at 20 and a half. Uh, when I looked at Pinnacle earlier, it was minus 113. I assume it's it's still around there. He missed uh, most of August, both practices and, and preseason games with a calf injury. He's 32 years old. Cole Turner has been performing well in camp and was one of Sam Howell's favorite targets in the preseason. So I, I think um, Logan Thomas is not going to play a full-time role. I think Cole Turner is going to eat into that. And on a aging tight end coming off an injury um i like the under there you also i noticed you messaged me the bet maybe a few minutes after terry mclaurin got the all green light and we talked about with matthew friedman some people might read that terry mclaurin news and bet terry mclaurin overs and react that way and others see it as no no here's our chance to bet other guys under because now he's going to take those targets away from prospective pass catchers it's a good uh, a good reminder that all, not all injury news is about the player. It's often about the guys uh, in the secondary markets that come after that. Um, Jack, thank you so much for this, man. I really look forward to doing this again next week. For sure, yeah. Thanks for having me on, and see you next week. Wow, this has been a great show. We've got injury news flying in. We got the markets reacting. Uh, time for our final but not least guest, John Lageza. You know him. Host of Call to the Pen on the Hammer Betting Network. NFL and MLB writer for The Athletic. Uh, John's an Italian. I'm a Greek. Uh, we're about to fill the room with hot air. John, thanks for joining me. Right, I'll meet you over some olives. G-Stack, what's going on, my man? What's going on, my man? Uh, you know what? For a guy who has no idea how to navigate prop markets, I think I'm doing a pretty good job, uh, you know, uh, 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 impressing the people with uh, pretending like I know exactly what's going on. That's why I'm so happy to have great, guests uh who can carry me and if you're enjoying the content please don't forget to hit the like button smash it we want to break 
the numbers that Rob Pozzola always does because he reminds everybody four or five times to hit the like button. John, uh, I'm excited to talk about this game. Uh, Bucks and Vikings. Vikings minus six plus 106. This has been a clean injury report game. And God, I love week one, John. It's it, My job's a lot easier. Come week 13 and 14, trying to parse through 15 guys on the list and all questionables and not practicing. It is a chore and a half. The only one, the injury that concerned me when I saw it pop up was uh, starting rookie right guard Cody Mock didn't practice yesterday, and it looks like he's not practicing again. That would be a blow to a team who already has a shaky O-line, lost Ryan Jensen, their starting center, before the season started. But let's start off with this Bucks offense and angles you're looking at. You zeroed in on Rashad White. Tell me what you like there. I mean, I think there's a lot to like there. <laughs> it's all relative, right, because there's not much to like on that offense, but even the worst offenses do just a little bit at least, right? So right off the bat, Minnesota defense is not very good, right? The excitement surrounding Minnesota is generally revolving around the offense. Bottom three in yards per play, bottom five yards per reception, bottom 10 in both receptions and receiving yards to running backs last year. Baker Mayfield, I mean, not very good. 7.4 YPA last year, that was 30th among QBs. The last I checked, there aren't that many more teams than that. Plus, you mentioned the line is banged up, and I actually think that's a help to the receiving running backs. So it's like, Baker, Baker doesn't run. So he's going to look to dump at the first sign. He should be on the run early and often. Rashad White last year, 23% target per route run. That was in the whole year. He caught 50 of 58 targets. Man, 86% conversion rate is pretty strong. So the hands are good. Coming off 50 receptions as a rookie in general is just very good. And then after the week 11 bye, when we really saw kind of a move to prominence, yeah, which often happens with rookies, whether it be non-linear growth, understanding offense, feeling more comfortable, getting used to game speed. After that week 11 bye, he had four or more receptions in six of eight. He had five or more receptions in four of eight. And he even, he even maxed out with a nine burger at one point. So I was really shocked to see, given just all the circumstances, that the line was at two and a half, yeah. minus 150. So you now we probably got some really sharp kind of boomer. And that's okay. Because if you're on, like, I was checking in, Pinnacle had, had the best price. Beautiful. So if you're like a straight better, I still think it's there. Right? The minus 150 is a 60% implied probability. So if you're into that stuff, I think you smash. And that's fine. If you like to go... Get a little bit more creative, my man, because mm. you are talking about being new in the prop market. So one of the things I like to help people with is open your mind, you know, expand into maybe like alt props where if properly measured, right, because it's all with a calculator. I mean, you know, I sound like I'm shooting from the hip off the toilet, but it's not necessarily the case. You could really open up your profit potential because in reality, especially with something like receptions, where he could get three in the last drive. I mean, honestly, you could be have a zero, a straight-up nothing burger going into the end, and you you could get that in garbage time, which we're probably going to be looking at. Like, everything contextually from a game script perspective is probably pretty much in line yeah. right here. So I was looking at this. Check it out if you're into this stuff. The reason why you – if you do the latter, and, you know, right – Think of R, whatever your allotted risk is. Think of it as a whole. That's why I like to use percentage points in R so we're not, it's, oh, he only has $5 or $10. We use percentage points. The terms are ubiquitous, right? And it doesn't matter. We're speaking in percentage 
Yeah. So I like to put myself in a position where I could bet 70% of whatever my allotted risk was, 70.7R, and leave the other three to either go one, one, and one, up three rungs of ladder, maybe up 2.2 and 0.1 to go up two rungs of, of the ladder. Because again, look at the implied probabilities here. That fourth catch is at plus 122, that's 45%. The fifth catch is at plus 246, that's at 29%. I feel pretty strongly about the fifth catch against the 29% implied probability. So again, with that same amount of risk, you could take advantage of the same win-loss mm. and just all you're losing out on is those, I don't want to say singular events that can only happen once, but just the event where you only hit it right on the nose. The same thing with Yardage, my dude. Yeah. The reason I did so well last year was because I opened up the doorway for when Devontae Smith's props were you know listed at 68 and he's going to go for 115 three or four weeks in a row i was getting paid up to the plus 500 on one tenth of my allotted risk again you don't want to just come out firing a plus 500 since no, it's going to go broke you're taking one unit and you're dividing the pie on percentage compartmentalizing it right yeah, yeah. And, and you know uh there's this added thing john that nobody talks about is we love variance right because with variance uh no one knows how to properly price extreme outcomes Baker Mayfield's a new quarterback on a new yeah. team. You don't know he's who he's going to love. He might just really love Rashad White in a way that they're BFFs and he's hooking him up with six, seven, eight targets, and, and he could easily climb that ladder. And, John, I never met somebody who made me so excited to spend my money. You've done you, – you, you Hold on, let me, let me put a last little ball on the ladder thing because, again, you know, when you're hanging with the pizza man, I always make the joke on my own show – Rob's the pizza man bringing you the large round. That's me. And it's all about, again, it's about sustainability in these markets, right? You know, I have the black eyes. I have the scrapes and scratches. I've been betting baseball daily for like almost a decade, you mm -hmm. know? And it's just being out there and being able to sustain, right? Having a good plan. So if you're going to do a ladder, this is one thing I like to look at. Again, this, the base play here, though I do believe in it, is juiced. So you got to keep in mind, if you were to put 70% of R on a minus 150, and you, you hit that, but not the other ones. It's only a 16% return on the initial venture. Uh, that's why I like to look for base rungs near minus 110, because in that scenario, like a general receiving prop, let's say, yeah. in those cases, if you hit the baseline, it's a, like a 43% profit. You know, that's a beautiful day at the office, people. Just don't, don't get into this whole, you're trying to make, you know, 9 million percent every day. That's not how, that's not how you stay in the game, right? That's I know that comes with emojis and stuff, but that's really not how you stay in the game. So I know I like the two and a half. That's my straight play. But man, there's like a three, four, five ladder, seven, two, one, seven, one, one, even this even to go up the other one. This might be a good case to go seven, one, one, one as far as decimal points go and look for the three, four, five and the sixth reception. Again, mm -hmm. he, he's I feel like that's almost where the line should be. We talked about a bad line. We talked about Baker having the low YPA, low air yards per attempt. I mean, somebody like Mike Evans needs the play to develop in order to produce. I don't think we're going to get that. Godwin may be the other one, but still, the guy's going to throw 20-something passes. I think the vast majority are going to White and Godwin. So, again, I think White goes way over on this one. All right. I like the direction you're heading. John, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you an analogy, and I promise it's all going to make sense at the end. Uh, you know, you know when uh, 
you're at, you know, you're at a party or a barbecue and all the food's finally ready. Greeks, Italians, we unveil everything at once, take the Tupperwares off and <laughs> everybody gets up with their plate and right away they want to, you know, I'm the guy who waits uh, and this will surprise you because I don't want to deal with the line. I like to zag when everybody's zigging. Once everybody sat down, now I can go slowly. I don't got to wait and stand and hold the plate <laughs> and take t 10 minutes around the table and I fill up my plate. I like to think a little bit differently than how everybody else is thinking. Justin Jefferson is the highest wide receiver total on the board this week, 88 and a half yards. That's a huge number. Everybody wants to bet Justin Jefferson. He's the, the reigning offensive rookie of the year, uh, offensive player of the year. The Bucks have a good secondary. And the Vikings have more competition as far as targets go this year. They drafted um, they drafted Jordan Addison in the first round. K.J. Osborne's still there. T.J. Hawkinson just got an extension. He's emerged. Uh, they added a second tight end, Josh Oliver, in free agency. It feels like that's a high number. Am I right to be thinking maybe we need to be looking under on this uh, initial number with Justin Jefferson? Man, you had me up until the under part. Mm. Meaning I'm not, I'm not recommending... Firing off in the over, not that Justin Jefferson can't hit that, of course. He's a target monster. But this is week one. So let's be careful. Again, sustainability. Mm. And we don't know. Again, he's going to dominate the target chair. I think that feels pretty fair. However, football a lot of times is oftentimes about the counterpunch as much as like the punch. And then the counterpunch to the counterpunch. So how will the Vikings respond to the type of coverage that Jefferson has seen? And the answer might be to just look off him over and over and over again, where, again, he serves a very important role as far as being a football player, Yeah, but it doesn't show in the box score. Addison's been really good. I mean, Hawkinson, I'm not maybe as high as the fantasy market, but we got to temper those expectations. I still think he's a very competent receiver, and Cousins gets through progressions, and we know he's not running anywhere, right? So if they protect him, he's going to go to where it's open. Also, the Bucks defense has some question marks from a – Offensive standpoint, like I was trying to attack them. I don't know if I'm really trying to do that. Yeah. So that's enough scratches on my chin that I, I think I'm leaving this one. But I don't think I'm ready to go under Justin Jefferson, man. You know, that's you're just not getting in line to get on the over. Yeah, there are some of those players. You know, I think if you were going to write down a short list of prop rules, not going short on the 1.01 in fantasy is probably a good idea. It's <laughs> like going under in cores, man. Sometimes you just gotta let those be. You know what? I, I did uh, remember Cooper Cup in the Super Bowl two years ago, and I was one of the guys who was on the under, and I was happy to be. It was like 114 yards. It was the most insane number I've ever seen for wow. a receiver. I mean, and Cup was just having that kind of year, but I don't, you know, when I, when you're a contrarian by nature, sometimes you got to pick a position. How about this? Let's move on to the Bengals and the Browns. Uh, right now, there's a bunch of one and a halfs and twos in markets. Pinnacle's best in market, minus one, minus 115 on Cincy. They are daring you to take the Bengals. I love this game. Denzel Ward is cleared. No concussion protocol. Burrow's healthy. Here we go. Two heavyweight Titans leading off a nice rivalry. Let's start off with the Bengals. Joe Burrow doesn't play in preseason. No big deal, but he also doesn't practice. So his timing with his receivers may not be up to speed. It happened last year against Pittsburgh. He didn't practice all training camp because of the appendicitis, and um, he looked awful. He threw four or five picks against the Steelers. Joe Burrow, 266.5, even money on Pinnacle. Are you looking uh, uh, over or under? Are you thinking Joe Burrow's not going to have as good a game as we're used to seeing from him? Yeah, well, there's, there's a bit to unpack here, okay? And just because I may not be on 
the over doesn't mean necessarily I'm running to an under. Yes. I think week one, I don't mean to be so noncommittal, but this is the week where you'll find me kind of milk toasting my way out of a lot of these things because mm. we just haven't seen anything. <laughs> we haven't seen any of it yet. Yeah. Burrow did log two practices. He just logged the last two. I don't know what that necessarily means. I don't care much about the preseason other than health, but now we're getting to that kind of question. I know we don't think about him as a runner, but if you watch this guy play, a lot of the success is predicated around he gets out of there. Mm-hmm. You know, I man, I wish I had it on hand. I think he had five rushing touchdowns. And I know he ran for a chunk also. Yeah. Again, it's, this is not like designed rushing, you oh, know, just the third, field down, third downs escaping, everyone covered down. Correct. Field. Correct. He's very good at identifying coverage. And when he sees man, press man, and that second move, and if he sees the back of a jersey, he will take off in particular third down and in, more in particular in the red zone. Right. Again, five, five rushing touchdowns is, is excellent yeah. for a quarterback that we don't expect to have like a double digit design rush rate. So there's a lot to like about the Bengals, even without him practicing. There's too many questions around Cleveland for me to really sink my teeth into this. I might almost feel better if the line was not so close. So, again, I'm kind of just watching this one. I'm really worried, actually, about Cincinnati not being able to establish the run game. Well, I wanted to talk to you about that because Joe Mixon had to take a pay cut to stay on the roster. They got rid of Samaji Pirine, so they're, they're thin at running back. It almost feels like this is this is the Joe Burrow passing season that they're moving away from the yeah. run this year. So when I see like 55 and a half rushing yards on Joe Mixon, I know we're not going to hit everything and, and we're obviously waiting for more data, but it feels like Mixon's going to struggle to hit those numbers, uh, especially in competitive games, maybe in games where they're blowing out the team and he, and he piles on those eight, nine rushes in the fourth quarter to close a game out. Right. Maybe I'd feel a little bit better, but I, I don't know that Joe Mixon's going to hit that number a whole lot this year. To be honest, for a competitive team, I really didn't understand the methodology here. Right? So, again, I'm not trying to kill Joe Mixon, but the reality is what it is. Yeah. Samaj P. Ryan outplayed him down the stretch, both running the ball and in the passing game, to the point where he was earning the most critical snaps in the playoffs. I mean, like, I don't know how else to make that case more compelling. They allow P. Ryan to walk. While there was some degree of uncertainty about Mixon's future, <laughs> yes. Regardless, the dude is dusty at yeah. the very best. Last year, three point nine yards per carry, one point two yards before contact per rush, two point six yards after contact per rush, and a five percent explosive rush rate. Those are all well below average. Well below average. Then they go and don't spend draft capital to replace him. They've had a couple guys on that team for a while. We haven't really seen much. You know, Chris Evans' preseason superstar. I I don't really understand it. I saw some people take the, well, this is Joe Mixon, he's a million carries. I think I like your take more, which is he's very good in pass pro and can get the work done. He's really boring. And he's going to, he's not exploding for any rushing yard overs. That's not, that's not what I'm looking for, man, because I think he's going to be the same thing, outplayed and replaced before long. I don't know. I, it really threw me off. It really did throw me They were a perfect candidate to bring in anybody, really, and they didn't. All right. Let's talk about Deshaun Watson and the $260 million guaranteed question of, is this guy still an elite quarterback? Because they're lining him at 237 and a half, uh, and he's got a lot of weapons. 
He's not being uh, in the market in fantasy. He wasn't ranked high. No one's treating him like an elite quarterback anymore. Uh, we haven't seen the elite version of him in two plus years. Are you buying the Deshaun Watson resurgence? Do you like a 237 and a half? Think, yeah, this guy's going to hit because at 250 a game, you're looking at a 4,000 yard quarterback. Is he no longer a 4,000 yard quarterback? Not until I see it. I actually, you want to laugh. I wrote down the word Missouri. That's what I wrote down because Missouri is the show me state. So until I see it, I'm just not buying it, especially at any kind of premium. Last year, 58% completion rate, negative EPA per attempt, negative EPA per dropback, 6.5 YPA, and a sub-80 passer rating. None of that. I mean, there's not, a, there's not a single thing there that says, I'm going to buy into this. But this is, and I'm not saying he's not going to be good. But I am saying this is all narrative. This entire thing, this entire Watson thing, is all, it's all narrative. Because football ages out people faster than we'd like to admit. So until I see somebody look explosive, do explosive things, break a slate, we just didn't see it. And I don't want to say he got bailed out. We don't know. that Those weather conditions that people have cited mm-hmm. for some of his struggles are right on the nose. Uh, those... That game had, what, like a 29 total? Did you throw that away? That's not... If you're serious about analyzing football, those games are not anything. No pass attempts, 40-mile-an-hour wins, whipping, you know, people's helmets off. It was absurd. But at the same time, I got to see it, man. I got to see it. I Again, almost like Mixon. <laughs> Jacoby Brissett was objectively better last yeah. year. And yeah. if they kept them in, they probably win most of those games down the stretch because they have a lot of really good pieces. But what was the, what was the one... What was the one variable that they changed? Is a quarterback, and now this is the thing like that we're asking me to believe in. So until I see it, no, man. Until I see it, no. There's uh, two schools of thought here, right? If you're a uh, pro Watson, you're going to say, hey, they designed the offense around Jacoby Brissett, so it wasn't the offense that he's built for. Okay. Number two, he he's rusty, hasn't played in two years, and there's a lot of weather games. If you're negative, um, Sharp Plark brought up a great point. He goes, the last time we saw Deshaun Watson – succeed in the NFL cover two was not the predominant defense in the NFL. And Deshaun Watson was a guy who took deep shots. If you eliminate that and he's got to be more accurate and precise over the middle, maybe he's not going to have this success in this new NFL, much like Russell Wilson, who also was dependent on deep shots. Maybe he's not going to right. So, so there's, there's a case to be made. And, and here's the, there's the thing. If you're very right on either side, there's some, some premiums to collect because the market is pricing it as we don't know what the hell this guy is or what the hell they are. One guy we do know, Nick Chubb has been the best running back in the NFL for five years. Objectively, he averages more yards per carry than everybody, more yards after contact. Nick Chubb is so good that anytime that anybody else got a touch, it's, it's what the hell are you doing this year? He has no true handcuff, no one to steal his goal line touches, or take 10 carries away from him, is this the year Chubb dominates and leads the league in rushing? Yes, rushing absolutely. Totally, doodly, absolutely. More than five yards per carry, three and a half yards after contact per rush, like you mentioned. Just shy of a 12% explosive rush rate, and he had 13 20-yard rushes. Those are all fantastic. My worry, of course, as the... I'm the big, like, Nick Chubb honk in fantasy. Yeah. Is that the Pierre Strong stuff? If, if Strong lives up to the billing, I wonder if we see Chubb miss some snaps during obvious passing down work 
I don't know that's to be determined. But to your question, purely rushing title, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yes, 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 yes. And to be honest, that was the one thing we really didn't mention that puts a damper on a lot of these overs are the divisional. I can't believe, dude, we must really like each other because we made it, you know, eight minutes into football analysis without mentioning a divisional matchup. It's a divisional matchup, divisional matchup. New familiarity, man. You know, they know each other. But it's the same state. Did anybody mention it's the same state? They both wear orange. You know, I'm like, I, I, I don't know, man. Uh, the teams that are looking to kind of play on the ground, it just kills clock. You know, it, and back to the Watson point, not only do we not know if he's prolific for the air, the one thing we have seen from him that had the fantasy walks again with their antenna up is he's been taking off. I think it was six uh, scrambles, a ge- six design rushes a game, I think, so far that we've seen. So, which is kind of in line with the top five, you know, dual threat quarterback that we saw, except he seems to have forgotten how to pass. They have the weapons now. This guy in Joku, man, he's a freak. If you can't get him the ball, you're not any good. John, I can't believe how quick the time flew by. If they told us great time, man. you two sit down and, and break down every game on the slate, I think we'd we'd be done sometime around Sunday morning before kickoff. <laughs> Don't ever let me catch you in the pub, my friend. <laughs> if, if you and I see each other in a bar, we are definitely closing that place. You'll have no ears left for me to chew off. John, thanks so much, man. I really look I forward to it. I appreciate you, man. I really do. Absolutely. And for the rest of the audience, that's it for the Friday edition where we're going to be doing props, fantasy injury discussion every week about this week's games. We'll get some live injury news as they come in. Don't forget, we do content Monday to Friday, two o'clock. So please ring that bell, get the notification, subscribe, smash the like button, give us some engagement. Uh, Sunday morning is the next time you'll see us. Rob Pizzola is going to be doing the pizza buffet. He's going to look at last minute games, see if there's any bets left to be made. And then in the evening before the Sunday night football game, him and Clive Bixby will be discussing the opening lines, where they see them moving. Anyways, once again, thank you to our sponsor, Pinnacle. They're the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for 25 years. Competitive odds, your trusted sports book, Bet Smart, Bet Pinnacle, must be 19 plus in Ontario, not available in the U.S. It was a pleasure. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope uh, my lack of props knowledge wasn't evident. I'm G Stack George, and we'll see you uh, next Monday on my end.